Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this time that we can gather around your word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear what you want to say to each one of us today. Give us uh, spiritual eyes to behold the glory of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Be seated. Good morning to you. It's good to be back. Um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I was gone along with Deacon uh, Sarah and Sarah Anderson, and where's Sarah? I don't know if Sarah's here right now. And then Ben McClatchy and Mike Jorgensen. We all went to uh, lovely Colorado Springs and uh, for a clergy retreat and uh, a, a, a time for Bishop Ross to call clergy and lay leaders together to discern what is God doing among us as a Western network in Pair USA. Our Western network is a pretty large piece of territory from St. Louis to Hawaii. <laughs> so there's a lot to, 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 to talk about and, and for him to, you know, he, he always jokes about how hard it is for him to visit Hawaii as a bishop to make those visits. <laughs> but anyway, it was, a good, it was a good time together and um, there was a man who was our main speaker named Bruce Walkey and he's 85 years old and uh, very vigorous, and still in love with the scripture, in love with Jesus. He's an Old Testament professor, retired now, written a lot of books. But uh, it was just really a feast to listen to this man open up the scriptures to us every day. And he uh, preached mainly on the Messianic Psalms. So the Psalms, you'd look at the Psalms and talk about how they predict the coming of the Messiah. And um, then he did the Isaiah 52-53 passage of the suffering servant of Jesus. But he talked quite a bit about suffering. One of the Psalms was Psalm 22, My God, my God, why has you forsaken me? And then he talked about the suffering servant uh, of, uh, of Isaiah 52 and 53. And he told this story in the context of one of those talks about suffering. I don't remember which one it is or was. Um, but he told this story of a pilot, a novice pilot, and I know there are pilots in this room, so I hopefully, hopefully this makes sense to you. You can tell me afterwards. Don't contradict me in the middle of it. Just tell me afterwards. But this novice pilot who had not learned to fly by instrument quite yet goes into a cloud of darkness, and he stalled the plane, and he started to go into a spin. And he radioed the tower for help, and the man said to him, take your hands off the controls and the plane will level out. And this man was panicked, he wouldn't do it. And the plane kept descending towards the ground. And then the radio tower again said, sir, take your hands off the stick, the plane will level out. And he said, I cannot do this, I'm going into a spin. A third time, the, the, the man in the tower said, don't panic, trust the plane, take your hands off the controls, but it was too late. And tragically, the plane crashed and he died. And the point of this story that Bruce Walkey told, again, in the context of suffering, was as Christians, we all experience clouds of darkness, times of confusion, and, and times where we lose visual contact, so to speak, contact with God. That's what was going on with this pilot. He lost visual contact. He was disorientated. How do we go through the, the cloud of darkness? How do we proceed? And the good news is that the scripture is filled with God's word to those who go through difficult times, because the people of God have always gone through difficult times. It's, it's normal to go through these valleys. 
And that's one of the first things we need to understand is it's part of the normal Christian experience to go through the valleys. And we see this all throughout Scripture where people are confused, they're in darkness, they're suffering, but God calls them to be faithful in the midst of this. And I bring this up, I think it's appropriate, because in this great story of the transfiguration, uh, we find one of the primary ways that we as Christians are to continue on in our discipleship in the midst of difficult circumstances. And the key is to keep looking to the greatness of Jesus Christ. Keep looking to the greatness of Jesus Christ. These disciples, before this great scene of the unveiling of the light of Christ and the truth of Christ, uh, have just descended into some darkness because Jesus has told them two things that really confused them and threw them into terror. One is, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be handed over to religious authorities. I'm going to be crucified. And that was hard for them to understand. He also predicted his resurrection, but putting those things together for a Jew in this time period was very difficult. They didn't conceive of a Messiah who would be treated in that way. And Peter, of course, tried to rebuke Jesus, and Jesus rebuked him back. Remember that? Get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God in mind. But that's what prompted Peter to do that. When he heard that Jesus said, I'll be handed over and crucified. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. The second thing that threw them into confusion and darkness was Jesus said, and not only am I going to suffer, but if you follow me, you're going to suffer too. If anyone wants to follow me, he has to take up a cross and follow me. So that the path to glory is, is through the cross. And they needed to understand that. And we all do. So how do we continue to, to go on when, when, when we see the, the cloud of darkness ahead of us? Or maybe we're in a time of suffering and difficulty or confusion in our own life even now. Well, we have to behold the greatness of Jesus Christ. The greatness of Jesus is what compels us to continue on. And there are three revelations, if you will, of the greatness of Jesus in this transfiguration passage. And I want to talk about those three, and then we'll come back to just some more application at the end. But the first revelation of the greatness of Jesus is a revelation of his glory. A revelation of his glory. There are symbols of glory uh, threaded throughout this passage. The first symbol is the symbol of light. The radiance of Jesus we see here. Mark tells us that Jesus was transfigured, uh, metamorphized, literally is kind of what the, is what the Greek says. He was transfigured before Peter, James, and John, so much so that his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. So this is a radiance that's coming from heaven. This is the radiance of God coming out of and through Jesus. And we know that light is a symbol of the glory of God in the Old Testament. Remember when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, his face shone with the glory of God, so much so that he had to put a veil over his face. So light is a symbol of the presence and the glory of God, and we see that in Jesus here. Jesus is the glory of God. And then there's also the glory of the cloud. Uh, the cloud in the Old Testament symbolizes the glory of God. Again, we can go back to the uh, story of Mount Sinai, and this is a deliberate parallel here. This is, uh, Mark is, is recounting this, and he's, as he's recounting this, he's recalling Moses on Mount Sinai, and here's what happened to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. But a cloud enveloped the scene. In verse 7, 
Um, it talks about the cloud and the voice coming from the cloud. A cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. And you remember in, again, the scene with Moses on the mountain, Mount Sinai, it says that the cloud covered it when, mountain went, uh, when Moses went up on the mountain and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. That's Exodus 24, 15 and 16. So these images of glory are here, light and cloud. And the point is, Jesus is the glory of God. Now, all of us have a longing in our hearts for glory. God has placed a longing for beauty and glory and majesty in all of our hearts. In fact, when we were in the Midwest, when we were in the, in the Rockies in, in Colorado, the, the, our group, of course, we're Midwesterners, so we don't get to see this much. We, every time we went outside, we were saying, look at the mountains. The snow-peaked mountains, the majestic mountains. Sometimes the clouds were enveloping these mountains. It's just beautiful. And so we always had to talk about it whenever we went outside. Look how beautiful the mountains are. Because when you behold glory, you want to praise it. And that's what we do in worship, by the way. We, we seek to behold the glory of God, and then we have to voice the praise of the glory of God. There's something in us that longs for glory, and then to complete the glory, you have to praise it. You have to remark on it. And what this uh, text tells us is that Jesus, if you, if you have a longing for glory, which we all do, the greatest glory is the glory of God. The greatest beauty and majesty is the eternal glory, is God's glory, and it's found in Jesus Christ. So that's one of the great things we see about Jesus. And then the second thing that we see uh, uh, about Jesus here is all the purposes of God are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Um, all the plans and promises and purposes of God culminate in Jesus Christ. And the basis for saying that is that Elijah and Moses appear on the mount with Jesus. And these are Old Testament figures, of course, who represent different pillars of Old Testament theology. Elijah represents the prophets. And it's through the prophets that God spoke his word. And Jesus is the Word made flesh. And Moses represents the law. It's through Moses that the will of God came to the people of Israel. And Jesus fulfilled the will of God. And so one thing to uh, understand about the appearance of Elijah and Moses is that here we have both the law and the prophets on the mount testifying to Jesus Christ. But also there's something further to think about here. That is, in these days, the rabbis taught that at the end of time, before the beginning of the end, God was going to send Elijah. When God's kingdom broke into the world, they predicted that Elijah would be sent by God. And part of that is because of the story that we read, that Elijah has this mysterious ending to his life. And so there's a sense that, that Elijah continues on with God and that God will bring this kind of ministry of Elijah to completion at the end. But also there was a, a verse in Malachi which says this, Malachi 4, 5, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So that was there in the Old Testament scriptures and they were looking for the coming of Elijah. They also believed, the rabbis believed that Moses, a Moses-like figure would appear at the end of time to restore Israel. And so here they are. They've appeared on this mountain signaling 
that the kingdom of God really is at hand in Jesus Christ. The beginning of the end. Jesus' ministry ushers in the beginning of the end. The kingdom of God is at hand in him, and it will be consummated fully when he comes again. But the point is, is that all these promises and plans and purposes of God, like different streams, are flowing into Jesus and flowing out of Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the plan of salvation. Peter is overcome at this moment. Uh, the, the greatness and the glory of Jesus overwhelms him. And he's terrified, the text says. And the way Peter processes things is by blurting things out. <laughs> it's all throughout the scriptures. So here Peter blurts something. Um, rabbi, interesting that he calls Jesus rabbi at this moment. Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. So let's build three tents. Or three shelters, or three booths, or three mini tabernacles. He's still operating in the Hebraic way. The glory of God is here, the greatness of God is here, so we need to build a shelter. And St. John Chrysostom writes this in a commentary on this passage. He says this, listen to what St. John Chrysostom says. Peter wants to settle down in the security of this temporary bliss and prevent going down to Jerusalem to the cross. Peter wants to settle down in this temporary bliss, and prevent going down to the suffering, to the cross. You see, God's plans and purposes are coming together in Jesus Christ, but they're all leading to the cross, where the plan of salvation is finalized, realized, as Jesus takes on the sins of the world. So the greatness of Jesus is that the plans and purposes of God come through him, but in a unique way, through the cross. And then finally, we see the greatness of Jesus revealed here as God declares him to be his son, his unique, his beloved son. This is the, the, the same words here that uh, we see at Jesus' baptism. This is my son whom I love. Peter, listen to him. Stop talking, Peter. Listen to him. Another good lesson for us, because oftentimes in our fear and our confusion, we start pontificating about what God is doing. We start speculating. We start to worry. And Jesus says to us, listen to my son. Listen to my word. Take your direction. Take your cues. Gain wisdom from the words of Christ. Because he is my beloved son. And that means that Jesus is our spiritual authority. Jesus is our spiritual authority. The son is in a place of authority. And our culture teaches us to listen to ourselves, or listen to other people's wisdom. And especially in the midst of confusion, temptation, darkness, doubts, questions, fears, we're tempted to listen to other voices. But we need to hear God say to us, listen to my son. Learn from Jesus. Feast and feed on his word and his wisdom for your life. Because he's the very Son of God. He's the Word of God, incarnate in flesh. So we see this, this, this greatness of Jesus coming through, the glory, the plans and purposes of God fulfilled in Him and His declaration to be the very Son of God. I want to call your attention back to our colic for the day. Now, um, the reason we call this the collect is that it's um, supposed to collect the various insights and themes of the different scripture readings for the day. And some days, I think, or some colics are better than others at this, and this is a really good one. 
today, for my purposes at any rate, because it gets to the point of what I'm trying to say. Um, that when we understand, apprehend, comprehend the greatness of Jesus Christ, it bolsters our discipleship to him, even in difficult times. Okay? So look at this again. O God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, grant to us that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross. You see it right there. Beholding the greatness of Jesus strengthens us to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit. One God forever and ever. I think a good way to apply this is to say throughout this week, no matter what you're going through, God, help me to see the greatness of the glory of Jesus Christ. Strengthen me with a vision of Jesus. A vision that I get through Scripture. A vision that I get as I interact with people in the church and especially those who, who are loving and kind. I'm seeing Christ in them. Strengthen me with a vision of the greatness and glory of Jesus Christ. Let me just close with a couple more uh, points of application here. Um, how do we go through difficult times? How do we keep looking to Jesus? Uh, that, that I think is just the basic point that I want to make is, is what Hebrews 12.2 says. The writer of Hebrews is writing to Christians who are going through suffering, through difficult times. Maybe there's somebody here going through a time of suffering, a time of confusion, difficulty, due to illness, financial troubles. Maybe life, maybe ministry is not going the way that you hoped for and prayed for. How do you proceed? Number one, Hebrews 12.2. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Rather than focusing on the circumstances of our life, the questions and the doubts that we have, he's saying, fix your eyes there on Jesus Christ. Behold his greatness, his goodness, his glory, his love to you. Number two, remember the mountaintops in your life. We can't live on the mountain, but have you had a mountaintop experience with God? Has there been a time in your life where You've sensed the presence and the reality of God in Jesus Christ. Maybe through prayer. Maybe through uh, being on the receiving end of acts of love and kindness from the body of Christ. His hands and feet. Other people reaching out to you in your love. Maybe there's been times when you've listened to a sermon like this and it's as if Jesus himself is addressing you. And you say, is the preacher reading my mind? God's speaking to me. Maybe it's been times when you've come to communion as you've taken the the bread and you've drank the cup. You are sensing the forgiveness of God flowing through you. It's as if Jesus' hands are on you saying, I forgive you. I'm releasing you of your burden of guilt and shame. There's mountaintop experiences that, that we have. And we need to remember them in the difficult times. The apostles who were on this mountain remembered this. It was an indelible stamp. It left an indelible stamp on their, on their hearts and their minds. Peter talks about it in, in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. He says, We do not follow cleverly devised tales. We saw his divine majesty on the mountain. We heard God's voice say, This is my beloved son. We were witnesses of his majesty. This is Peter saying this at the end of his life. He remembered the mountaintop. 
And then John, in, in John chapter 1, the Apostle John, verse 14, I think he's referring to the transfiguration when he says, we beheld his glory. We were witnesses, the glory of the one and, uh, and only. So they remembered. The French philosopher Pascal, great genius, who had a lot of suffering in his life, a lot of accomplishments, but he went through some very difficult periods. He sewed in the lining of his jacket the day when... Um, he encountered the living God. He had an encounter with God, and he wrote about it. He wrote a note to himself, and he sewed it into the lining of his jacket. The day, the date, and what happened. So that as he went through difficult times, he would look in that jacket and remember the mountaintop. So it's easy to forget in the difficult times, but I'm, I'm urging you to look back at what God has done. And then finally to look forward at what God is going to do. Because this transfiguration of Jesus Christ foreshadows the glory of his resurrection, his ascension, and his enthronement at the right hand of God the Father. It's, it is looking forward, it is foreshadowing the glory that's to come in Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ. And because Jesus Christ is our victor, we share in that victory, we share in that glory. And there's going to be a day of resurrection for us into the presence of God. So friends, when you feel like you've lost contact, when you feel like you're in the cloud of darkness, when you feel like panic is setting in, look to the greatness of Christ so that you can be strengthened until the final day when we shall see him face to face. We'll see him as he is. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.